Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Run it. Yeah, we want to record it, so. Yeah, this is this is very important if you're running here. Thank you, Bob. Well, this is a great surprise. American Underground Network. The primary the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human god to eliminate all risk from their life, pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the This public demand is incredible. So the human god, the politician, meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who is the bigger lie? The public or the godfather? All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV and whether it be uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, the young people, the college people who are more principled, locked in, and they're not embedded with the government, they are the ones who are concerned about where the future because the future is theirs. My research has shown this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end that. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome. It's the National Collective Consciousness Show with Dee Dee Farrell in Portland, Oregon, Jim Condit Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart. Hey, thanks, everyone. Uh, we are really surprised and blessed to have with us Bob Schultz, uh, uh, who's been a, a regular foundational element of this show, this call uh, for, God knows, many, many, many years, going back to where activism with supporting his foundation, We the People Foundation for Constitutional Education. Uh, and uh, thank you for coming on, Bob. This is uh, the third month of this uh, COVID lockdown. Uh, we're kind of rolling with the punches here. Uh, I'm in an extremely deep, dark blue state of Illinois, and it's gradually opening up. And uh, thank God you're in upstate New York instead of Manhattan down there. where It was the epicenter of so much crap, but um, uh, I, I'm sure you've been watching and, and listening and, and and keeping notes on what's happening, but uh, we're all hanging in here. Uh, we're still doing the call every, every week. Uh, it's been a little bit harder to 
connect uh, with various people because of this uh, COVID thing, but we're all hanging in there, Bob. And uh, please, uh, a shout-out for prayers for Betty, uh, her family, and her husband uh, in a hospice cancer situation. Uh, prayers uh, surround her and her family and go out to, to him. And, 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 Bob, I hope Judy's doing okay, and I hope you're doing okay. Uh, yeah, no, thank, we couldn't thank be you for him for coming on. We're doing very well. Uh, Betty, tell us, uh, hopefully we're not repeating here, but tell us a little bit about uh, your love, your your life with your husband. Uh, when did you meet um, uh, children? Uh, just tell us a little we bit met, about your life. We met at a barn dance. Okay. Cool. Uh, yes, we met. That's yeah. where we met. Oh dear heavens! That must have been nineteen nineteen sixty one. Nineteen sixty one. Okay. No, sixty one. Six. Oh, sixty one. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, uh, we we began dating, and it wasn't very long. Uh, we thought about marriage, and uh, so we had only dated, oh, I would say maybe five months, something like that, uh, mm-hmm. and we got married. Mm-hmm. And then from that, uh, we were married, uh, and two two years later, we had our daughter. Mm-hmm. And that's who we're moving in with now, and she's a registered nurse and everything, so she's, you know, keeping an eye on everything with my husband and everything, and it's going to be easier once we're over here. But uh, uh, she had quite an interesting life, and she loves horses and always mm-hmm. dreamed to have it a place of half horses and that's exactly what she's got here. Uh-huh. We're in the we're in the country and she's got about five horses. Mm. And uh she's married a husband that's willing to go along with her with all these horses. <laughs> <laughs> well we have something in common. We have something in common. Judy and I raised horses here as well. So oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other uh, one, is just the daughter, Betty, or were there other siblings? No, other this children? is the only, because I was married once before and had two children by that marriage. Okay. And uh, But Donna is yeah, the, the, the youngest one of all the other three children, but yeah. she's the only one <laughs> from uh, with, with Al. Al. <laughs> And uh, let's see, what else is there? So you had a rich life, loving life. Oh, and, uh, it was, yeah, I mean, we we had a chance to kind of travel back and forth to Florida, and we went various places, and we helped with my uh, oldest daughter's grandson, you know, doing trips with him when he was little, and it always uh, we've always uh, kind of revolved about around family. 
And he put up with me with all the years of activism, activism I was doing. And he would put up the tents and, you know, all the stuff. And I did, did the fairs, fairs and all that stuff. And uh, uh, did he have a profession? What was his uh, uh, work? He journey carpenter. Journey, journey. Journeyman Carpenter. Carpenter. Yeah. Praise God. He worked with his hands. Praise God. Yeah, mm. yeah. And he, he did really, really good work. And he, he mm. didn't, uh, the last part was cabinetry. He was doing cabinets. Mm. And uh, he was, he grew up on a dairy farm. So mm-hmm. he, he was a country boy. <laughs> Salt of the earth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hard worker, very, very hard worker. Well, thank you for sharing that. And sorry, you know, that it's, well, all good things come to me, yes? So, yeah, our prayers, our prayers with you. As he says, and I say too, we're the really lucky for him living all these years. You know, sure. I'm a year older than he is, but I mean, it's still is 80 some years. That's getting pretty good because you're. No matter what, you what you end up dying old age, right? Yes. <laughs> so yeah, we're close to we're in that now. <laughs> right, you and I have each, baby each, so know we know what you speak. Yeah, well, it sounds like a good, rich life. Well, God bless you. Yes, both. it was. Yeah. Okay, so um, it's been an interesting time. Uh, we're, uh, uh, as Fred mentioned, we're upstate New York, near the Lake Lake George. It's a 32-mile long lake. And, uh, gosh, I know a lot of people up here. I know of no one that's had the virus, and everyone I know, they tell me that they don't know anybody with the virus up here. So That's good. Uh, Perfect, perfect place. And my life actually hasn't changed. Uh, before all this happened, you, you know this, Fred, Dee Dee, Oh, yeah. Betty. Uh, I've been, uh, my office is downstairs. We, it's a raised ranch. And we finished off uh, the lower level here. Um, gosh, in 73, and I, at one time I had seven people working. But, so it's all office space down here. And um, this is where I do my work. And uh, I am pursuing, uh, as you may know, I am trying to restore the First Amendment right to petition. It's become the forgotten right. And uh, I have, I, you guys may not know this, but I'm pursuing four cases, plaintiffs in four cases, one against the town of Queensbury, which is part of my land, uh, spills over the county line into the town of Queensbury. Most of the land is in uh, Fort Anne, it's called, uh, Washington County, but it spills over into Warren County in the town of Queensbury. And so I have a case against uh, the town of Queensbury, and the underlying issue is the right to petition, and, if govern- if, and, and whether government is obligated to respond when we catch them. Uh, stepping outside the boundaries that we've drawn around their power by the terms of our state and federal constitution and the laws pursuant thereto. 
so that is a case against the Queensbury, and that's now before the highest court in our state. Uh, when you oh, sue wow. the government, when you sue the government, you must pass through three levels, and uh, eventually uh, the highest level is what's called the Court of Appeals, New York State Court of Appeals. And I have a long history with them, um, and so I'm waiting for them now. It's like the it's like the Supreme Court. Um, you have to ask them <laughs> and convince them that you have an appeal of right. Um, so I'm waiting for that word. And um, then we have a case, believe it or not, against a county, Westchester County. Many of you may have heard about Westchester County. It's a very wealthy county. Uh, just yeah, upstate. My, my dad was born and lived in Westchester. A large one oh, in New York. Okay. Tell him. Yes, it's for the benefit of listeners. It's just north of uh, New York City. And a lot of yep. people, a lot of wealth there, and a lot of people commute uh, to the city from Westchester County. And we, Tony Futia, uh, God bless him, um, 84 year old uh, board member of We the People Foundation for many years. Uh, he's 84, a little older than I am, and. When he finished high school, he joined the Navy and was in the submarine service, and then uh, went to work for uh, North Castle in Westchester County, where he worked for over 40 years, ran their water and sewer department. But he's been uh, never missed a town board meeting, and he keeps them honest, even though they were his employer. He never missed a town board meeting, and he uh, he raises hob, as they say. Uh, but he and I are plaintiffs in a case against um, Westchester County, and the underlying issue is the right to petition. We caught them uh, violating the state constitution, and we petitioned them. They didn't respond, so we had to take them to court. Oh, wow. And then we, Tony and I had a case against the state of New York. Um, we caught them. Uh, well, uh, they violate all the, the executive the Assembly and the Senate of our legislature are all now of the same party. And um, lots of strange things are going on. And, and so we had an outbreak of unconstitutional activity. We petitioned, walked the petition around to the leaders, the, the majority and minority leaders of our legislature, both houses, and the governor, and no response, so we had to go to court. And um, uh, and then, of course, my big case, uh, which has been ongoing for many years, uh, I'm slowly winning uh, that, uh, and waiting now for word from the Second Circuit Court of Appeals in Manhattan. Uh, it's fully briefed, and I've asked uh, for oral argument. I don't know what they're going to do with this virus, whether they're having oral argument or not. Um, but yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for that word now. So that's fully briefed. Uh, the case against the state is now finally fully briefed. When I say that, for the benefit of folks, you you file a brief and then the government responds and then you reply. And months and months go by. And it's a lot of work. Um, in my case against the, the town, which is before the Court of Appeals, uh, that's, of course, fully briefed. And um, so it's a lot of work. Um, and so, I'm, you know, I'm down here every day, and I 
have a lot of property here. I have about over 100 acres, and I maintain it all. And so I try to get some balance between that head work and then the physical work outside. Um, uh, there's many acres that I mow uh, with a garden tractor and, and uh, two barns that I maintain and, and whatnot. I used to raise horses here and sheep in my former life. Um, and so uh, I try to balance uh, the head work with the physical work. Uh, last few hours of daylight, year round, I try to get outside. Um, and I uh, so this virus came along and they locked people down. I didn't know the difference. I'm down here every day. And they, of course we go to the grocery store and stuff like that. Um, but I got a breather. I filed uh, with Tony. Tony Butia was here. Came up from uh, his home downstate. We got some, notar uh, some signatures notarized and some documents and got it in. I got it in the mail. And so I've got a breather, and I'm—I uh, have been. My family has been after me for a long time uh, to write a book about all of the things that uh, we have been doing over these I don't know, last 40 years, and to hold the government accountable and uh, keep them honest and so forth. Um, been quite a quite a ride. Uh, so Bob, are you writing the book? Have you started it? Well, I I have a preface and uh, an outline, and I'm toying with uh, different titles, but uh, I'm I now finally have a window where uh, I can uh, devote the time that I used what have been spending on legal briefs. I can now spend it uh, on on the on writing the, the the book, but I would like to oh do it. Oh my gosh, so, that would be a treasure, so, Bob. You got to get that done. My gosh, yeah, God I, bless. Yeah, I know. You're, my oldest son, Bob, he's in Tokyo uh, with uh, his wife and and uh, grandkids, and and he's uh, been after me. A lot, a lot of folks have been, and, and but I finally have a breather, and I've had a. Um, now I, uh, you know, folks, that that my passion is to restore fully the, the right. The last ten words of the First Amendment is our right guarantees our right to petition the government for redress of grievances, redresses to rectify grievances, and um, no court has ever declared what the uh, rights of the people and the obligations of the government are under those 10 words. And so in the absence of, you know, Supreme Court telling us what it means, you have to rely on the historical record, um, the historical scope and purpose, the origin and line of growth of, of a provision of the Constitution. All of that work has been done. And um, it's there. Um, the framers never intended that we would have to rely on the electoral process. You know, if you don't like what's going on, just vote for somebody else. <laughs> um, and, and they never intended that we would have to rely entirely on the judicial process in order to hold the government accountable. And, um, and so we've worked very hard. 
we've taken our lumps. Government has not been happy with us. They've tried to silence us. And in fact, they've succeeded in silencing us. And the more time we have to spend on these, you know, fighting them <laughs> legal briefs, um, then you've taken the leadership of the organization away. And uh, and and so anyway, uh, I've kept the organization intact. Uh, the domain is still there. The website's still there. Um, and uh, email addresses and so forth, but it's been silent because we have been uh, trying to, you know, restore this, fully restore this right, and uh, we've been in, so involved uh, in the courts in, in, in trying to to restore that right, um, and so there's a side of me that says, well, you know, writing a book. <laughs> Uh, would it be something to? Uh, I hope I, I'm not um, counting chickens before they hatch, but it, I'm, I, I've got to say I'm proud of these briefs that are now before these different courts, and uh, I am. I feel confident. Hesitate to say this. Uh, but I feel confident that we're finally going to get to the Supreme Court and we're going to get a ruling on uh, that the government is obligated to respond. When you have evidence that they have, that they have violated the Constitution, state or federal, and the laws pursuant thereto, and it, it's a matter of law breaking, then we certainly have um, they are obligated to respond to proper petitions for redress of grievances. And boy, if we could just get there, what a tremendous, you know, if, if we could get there, there'd be a, a, a significant shift in, in the ultimate, the ultimate power in our society from the government back to the people where it was meant to reside in the first place. And there's a side of me that, that says, get there first and then write about it. Um, writing about it ahead of time before those rulings come. Um, eh, you know, it's just somebody else sounding off, maybe. I don't know. Um, but I feel confident uh, in the work that we've done. If anyone would like uh, to see these legal briefs, uh, I'm happy to send them to you. Actually, I, you know, we missed Mike Bodine. He used to post everything for us. But if he were here today, I would write an article for the website with links yep. to all of these briefs, and he would see that it was done. He would not yep. only post it, he would not only post it to the website, but he would email it to all of our members, uh, 91,000 people. That was yep. Mike Bodine. He did that at least once a week for us for years. Uh, but I don't know how to do that. But I think the, the briefs, uh, if I can say so, I, I think we've done well on those. And, and I'm fairly confident that even though they, you know, that the, there is this, when you, when you go to court, you're dealing with these judges, there is this issue we face, what I call the personalization of the outside influence. 
there's an outside influence that they all feel, and and that and that outside influence is um, you know do, what would the world I mean it's a world that where you have this shift where government is obligated to respond. That's what the right to petition for redress of grievances was intended. That's what it means. And uh, what a world of difference. And, and these judges know that. Uh, and they're part of the government. And so, um, I don't know. Uh, we're, hopefully, we'll, we'll get a breakthrough here. But it's, I wouldn't have, uh, you know, life is nearing an end. Um, you reach 80, you start thinking about things like that. And I wouldn't have had it any differently. Um, you know, uh, it's been a passion. Uh, we tried our hardest. Uh, and um, it's in his hands. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. But I, uh, I am confident, and, and I am, uh, I am thinking more, uh, and, and I have decided uh, to start devoting my energies now, and actually tomorrow. Uh, we just got this thing filed. I've got this, um, got this, uh, I don't know, free time by any means, but. Uh, I now have time uh, to devote to the book, I call it. So tomorrow I will return my attention to that and try to develop it and see how that goes. It, it's been quite a ride. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, uh, all of us uh, have been in this fight and in, in, in in, in different chapters and different verses and different ways uh, over the years. Uh, but it, it's, it's amazing when you look at what's happening around the world right now with uh, the rise of alternative media, uh, you know, there, there's a, a, a sea change that is happening. I mean, people who are, are doing some incredible research under, uh, uncovering incredible stories of wrongdoing at all levels of government, call it the deep state, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. it it's almost as if a, a, a veritable round panel army that we talked about years ago, this, it's blossomed and grown into, into a massive, massive movement that uh, when you take it all the way back to its genesis, I think you were the, you, you started this whole thing. <laughs> Well, back with, with Bill Bannister and I mean all the way back. This is where it all began, Bob. Well, I'll tell the story very briefly. Um, about a uh, just over the county line here, just around the bend uh, in the road, there's an old firehouse. It's, there's a new one next door to it now. But years ago, uh, I. I think many people have heard this story, but I'll, I'll try to make it brief. So I was living a good life. I uh, settled here. I was raising four children and working. Um, had a very good lucrative career and um, was very satisfied. And But the government here, uh, I live alongside this 32-mile-long lake that Jefferson visited. <laughs> and called it the Queen of America's Lakes. 
uh, it's just stunningly beautiful. Um, but the government here was telling the folks that uh, that lake was going to turn, in their words, piece of green in six to ten years because uh, everyone's uh, on-site septic systems that lived, you know, in the area in the in the Lake George watershed, uh, that their uh, systems were contaminating the lake, and um, they said they had a solution: run sewer lines down both sides of the lake, hook them together, run them down what's called Route Nine uh, for 10 miles, 12 miles or so, maybe even 15 to the Hudson River where they will build a treatment plant and uh, treat all that wastewater from coming from homes and businesses and so forth. And, uh, but we had a new law on the books um, in New York State. Uh, 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 government was telling the people that in 1979. In 77, this law was passed, um, the State Environmental Quality Review Act, these big projects gone were the days that you could just build these things without any con uh, thought of, of adverse impact on, on the environment. And so the law was that uh, projects like that, you had to uh, look at all the alternatives, you had to quantify the impacts of each alternative, you had to compare the totality of the impacts, and you had to choose the alternatives. You had to look at all the alternatives, including the no-action alternative. What's wrong with what we've got now? And, and then choose the alternative that would have the least adverse impact on the environment with the economy taken into consideration. But, but the government here was not going to uh, do that review. They were just going to go forward with that project. And they, and they brought everybody to, to the polls. They had a referendum. And based entirely on what the government was telling the people here in 1979, uh, the people passed it. The government was telling them, you know, if we don't do this, the lake is going to die, <laughs> tourism will die, and the value of your homes will go south, and all that. And, and based entirely on what the government was telling the people, the people approved this, like four to one. And um, my dear wife, Judy, brought me the newspaper one day and said, gosh, there's, a, you know, this guy in charge of this super project, He's going to be speaking at our little firehouse around the bend here. Um, and I said, well, I think I'll go. I have some questions. And so the place was packed with all my neighbors and whatever, friends. And when this guy finished, I raised my hand. Now, I had been a full, by this time, I had been a full-time advisor to the administrator of the Federal Environmental Protection Agency. I had run an environmental agency for the state of Connecticut. Uh, I had, I, they created a policy office in New York State for me uh, to, to uh, move this concept along, this waste utility concept that I had developed while I was with GE. But in any event, Judy uh, um, brought me the newspaper, and I, I said, I'd, I'd like to go, and I've got some questions. So when this fellow finished, I raised my hand. And uh, oh, I wouldn't be speaking to you today if I had not been there and raised my hand to ask government a couple of questions that I had about this project. And, and he said, no questions. If you have any questions, see me later. Wow, did that change wow. my life? <laughs> oh, jeez. And, and so I nudged Judy and I said, we're leaving. 
And she said, not without my covered dish. It was a covered dish luncheon. <laughs> and so we left, and I got on the phone to talk to people and, and uh, to ask, because we'd only been around the lake for like 10 years. And I said, is there any algae you know, any, along the shores? No. I said, is there any... Does anybody get any rashes when they go swimming in these waters? No. Are there any restrictions on, on swimming or eating the fish that you kept? No. I said, what is going on here? Um, and so I decided to investigate. And what I learned was uh, there was a bill in the uh, legislature, had been, it hadn't been coming out of committee, uh, to authorize, we, we have, casino gambling on Indian reservations in our state have had been for a long time. And, and back then, this was a bill to authorize commercial off-reservation, you know, casino gambling. And the people who owned, I learned, the people who owned the tourist attractions at the head of our lake, big, big popular tourist attractions. People pour in here every summer from downstate New Jersey, New York City, City and so forth. It's just a beautiful area upstate, the foothills of the Adirondack Mountains. And um, what I learned was these people who own the tourist attractions had these visions of all these casinos. And what are you going to do with all that wastewater? Well, you know, we'll just pipe it down to the Hudson. And who's going to pay for that? Well, the people will. How? Why would they pay for that? Well, we're going to require them to hook into the um, into the sewer and charge them a fee. And why would they do that with what when they have what they have now works? So well, we'll tell them it doesn't work. They, they can't tell the difference. It's underground. Anyway, so I discovered all that, and now I had a lot of serious questions that I uh, went to the town board. I've never been to the town board meeting. I've never been to the county meeting, and I've certainly never sued the government um, back then. And um, I uh, went there uh, to ask questions. And of course, during the public comment period, I took the microphone and it was obvious they were not happy I was there. They were reading newspapers or whatever they were doing. They were not happy. And I didn't get any answers. So I thought, well, I'm going to take the government to court. They're, they have to do this review. Um, that's the law. Yeah. You know, and so, long story short, I, well, I, I, I knew that a, it was just a stroke of genius, I guess, but luck, uh, that I uh, decided that I should get a lawyer from outside the area. Don't get a lawyer who, whose success depends upon uh, the local state Supreme Court justice. You know, all his work goes through him. So I went outside the area, and um, I contacted, uh, oh, there was an organization, uh, his name escapes me at the moment, but they're a not-for-profit, uh, and, and asked if they would be willing to take on this case, and they said, no, but we have someone who has worked with us many years who has now left. His name is Lou Oliver, and he's out um doing business on his own. So I contacted Lou, and uh, that's another story which I'll put in the, in the book that 
uh, really funny stuff about how we met and 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 the, the process we went through to to look him over, to look him over and then hire him. Anyway, but with him doing the legal work and me doing the technical work, we prevailed. And we went all the way to the high court in the state, and we prevailed. They in 1982 gave us everything we were looking for. They undid the results of the countywide referendum and nullified all the results of the pound, you know, and county in approving and financing the project and said if you want that project, you're back to square one and you've got to follow that law. You've got to do the review. Long story short, the EPA funded it and it was a major effort. Um, Citizen Advisory Council and so forth and the upshot was the last thing you want to do is add any sewers around Lake George. It had just uh, really harmed the lake. And, and, but it changed my life. Um, wow. Until then, of course, I, I'm sure you've heard this before, but until then I had always believed that government was always benevolent, always had the public interest uppermost in its mind, and that these are white hats, you know. But all that changed, and, and I learned that they needed to be watched. So we formed the Tri-County Taxpayers Association and started looking at uh, what government was doing. And then in 1990, um, he brought me uh, the mail again. <laughs> and and uh, there was a letter there from the state, and it was addressed to homeowners. And so it was the state sending these letters to everybody in the, in the state. And we have a state constitution that requires if the government is going to borrow money, they have to get the voters' approval. And so the government, this is Mario Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo's father was the governor at that time, and um, they wanted to borrow $1.9 billion, and so it was going on the ballot. And so this letter um, that uh, we received uh, was all about that. And there was a pamphlet in there, and, uh, and it had a quote from the Mario Cuomo, the governor, and he said, a vote for this bond act would be the ultimate selfless act. Well, that wasn't my idea of the ultimate selfless act, but I felt, you know, there's something wrong here. He's using my money to tell me how to vote. I, that, that, was, that was my instinct. And, and where does he have the authority to do that? And so I went to the law library, and long story short, I learned that there's a state constitution um, and that uh, government cannot um, borrow uh, uh, or can't use public money or credit in aid of any private undertaking. And I looked at this, and I said, is this a private undertaking or a public undertaking? I didn't know. It, it had all the trappings of a public undertaking. Uh, the governor uh, you know, the, was sending this letter to every homeowner, and the legislature had approved putting the issue on the ballot. It looked like a public undertaking, but I wasn't sure. And um, turned uh, to New York jurisprudence, if you want to know what any law is, you go to jurisprudence. But I learned that any issue on the ballot is a is a private matter until it passes. Wow, this is a private matter, not a public undertaking. So we were, so he was using public funds. Uh, I, you know, I went to the local college and and to a 
the uh, English professor there and showed him this letter from the state and asked, is this persuasive communication? And he looked at it and he said, yes, it is. And I asked, would you give me an affidavit? And he said, yes. So uh, using public money uh, to sway the results of the election, a, a private undertaking. And uh, we went to when you sue the state, you have to go do it in Albany. And um, long story short, we uh, prevailed in that lawsuit. And um, that was the first time we had sued the state, and that was 1990. And we formed the All-County Taxpayers Association. Now we're hearing from people all over the state about one issue or another, and we're bringing the lawsuits. Gosh, been over 200 lawsuits that we filed by now and uh, won many of them. Uh, but these are issues that people had. Uh, they were hearing about the work we were doing and, and bringing these issues to our attention. Um, I could go you know, all night talking about some of these, but we'll put it in a book, some of the big cases. There was a trilogy of cases that went to the high court in the, in the state in the 90s that are very important. Uh, there'll be a chapter on the trilogy. Um, anyway, so here we are many, many years later. Um, we uh, realized uh, after a while the, the courts were, uh, I guess I have to say that they were, we were prevailing the government was not happy, um, yeah. and and they issued a decision um, uh, in 1994 that was clearly wrong. Uh, I'll talk briefly about that. So, so the state wanted to borrow. They they couldn't because we won that lawsuit. They knew they couldn't just borrow money that the that and they couldn't persuade the people to vote yes. So rather than uh, put it you know on on the on the ballot and and just tell people what the money will be used for without encouraging the, them to vote for it, they decided if we can't do that because of the Schultz case, then we will then we'll borrow money without going to the voters. Yeah, there's a provision in our Constitution that says you can't do that, that the voters have to approve it. So um, one of these issues that, that brought to our attention um, was the state was going to borrow $6 billion bonds issued by the Thruway Authority and the MTA, not for capital projects, but, but for operating expenses, which is not a good thing. Uh, but the state hired um, Arthur Lyman. Arthur Lyman is a very, very famous, very expensive attorney out of Washington, D.C. He was on the Senate on the dais uh, asking the questions during the, of Oliver North and others during the um, uh, Iran-Contra affair during President uh, Reagan's uh, tenure. 
And uh, the state hired him to go against me and um, in this case. So here we were. We got to the highest court in the state, and um, he is arguing that, that this is not the debt of the state. You know, that these bonds are going to be issued by the three-way authority of the MTA. And, and of course, they're state agencies, right? So I said, well, whose debt is it? If it you know, and he, there was no answer. Well, the bonds say it's not the debt of the state. And I said, well, whose debt is it? Well, there's no answer. And then, and then they said, well, the legislature may not appropriate the money to pay this debt service, to pay these bonds off. And I said, that will never happen. That's the state admitting it's bankrupt. And that will raise the cost of borrowing for every school district, every town, county in the state. That will never happen. Well, Judge Kay wrote a decision. He's a chief judge. And... Um, and in that decision, she said, well, if the legislature appropriates the money, these will be gifts. And the legislature is free to gift money to anybody it wants to gift it to. <laughs> outrageous decision. And I was so struck by that. And, and that's when I really dug into the right to petition and, and said, well, you know, if that's the way the courts are, if if the if if the courts are going to judicially repeal the provisions of the Constitution, then then there's got to be another way, and yeah. and that's when I dug in, uh, and and learned all about petitioning the executive and legislative people directly, and and uh, learning that they were obligated to respond, and and as you know we then. Uh, about the same time, we learned about Joe Bannister and all of it. And here's this guy. All he did was raise his hand. He had questions. Uh, he worked for the IRS. He had questions for the, the people he worked for, and they told him to get out rather than answer any of his. And you know, you read his report, and these are he's intelligent guy. These are legitimate, proper questions. And and uh, rather than answer, they they forced them out, and um, and and uh, so you, he's not alone. There are many people that that raise serious questions about government's behavior, and and the government doesn't like it, and and uh, and and often as and I could attest to this, often you go to court and. It, as Judge Kay did in that in that Bondac case, um, what it is 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 they they swipe power. You know, the, when you think about it, the Constitution is all about power between the people and the government. We're supposed to have the ultimate power. This is our document. We're not mentioned except, and these are prohibitions, and we set the government up, and we prohibit their behavior, and we mandate their behavior, and um, and they don't like it, of course. And as Jefferson said, it's in the natural order of things for government to gain ground and liberty to lose ground, and um, and that's what's been happening. And as you know, uh, I worked very hard. I, I knew that that individuals and small groups cannot prevail, that, that if we're going to prevail and if we're going to uh, keep these 
underlying keep our liberty and freedom as intended, um, then we're going to have to institutionalize citizen vigilance. That that it's, we're going to have to convince people to work together to support an organization um, that is committed to monitoring what government is doing at every level and um, and then petitioning them. And then if they don't respond, uh, then we have the right of enforcement. Any right that is not enforceable is not a right. With every right, there's a remedy. And, and so we have this right of enforcement. And I'm certainly against violence, but, but uh, as the as the delegates to the first Congress, including Washington, including Adams, including John Jay, the first um, Supreme Court Justice, Chief Justice, all those delegates to, to the Continental Congress in 1774, they passed this declaration and unanimously said, when the people when the, when the government wants money from the people and the government has in any manner oppressed the people, the people may retain their money until the grievances are redressed and thus peaceably procure relief, you know, without uh, disturbing the public tranquility. Brilliant, you know. So these are, that was 1774. And, yeah. and then by, and that was the same Congress that was that guided us through the Revolutionary War, the Articles of Confederation, uh, and then sat the you know and was sitting uh, in in 1789 uh, and and uh, gave us the Constitution that we now have, and so the same Congress and and every Jefferson joined was a delegate, he joined in many others in in. Uh, 1775 guided us through the Revolutionary War, uh, and that was that was there. Clearly, that carried forward. You, you look at the Declaration of Independence, um, pocket size that I carry around. As I say, it's, it's only five pages, but three of those pages are a listing of the grievances that we had against the government of the day. And at the very end of that list, you have what the scholars call the capstone grievance, the grievance that capped all the others, the grievance that more than any other caused us to declare our independence. And what does it say? It's all about the petition. What does it say? It says in every stage of these oppressions, if you only list of oppressions, we have petitioned in the most humble terms, and our repeated petitions have been answered only with repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which would defy the tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. So in other words, it was, it was after many, many years, 150 years of, of having the petition, the right to petition honored in, in colonial days, it, it, it came from the Magna Carta, John, the first mention of the right to petition was in the Magna Carta, and then it grew in England, and then as other people came here, they, they brought that right with them. 
But then after the French and Indian War um, in 1763, uh, they started, England started treating the people here differently than they were treating their own people back then. And that led to these oppressions and these grievances. And then because they wouldn't answer, the repeated petitions were answered only with repeated injury, we declare our independence. So I, I say it's over that petition, you know, they're, because they weren't responding uh, to these, uh, to these uh, grievances. And, um, and so it's, it's the, all of that work, and it, it all shows up in this historical review and it's all, I think it's all coming to a head. We've got these four cases. I think they're, uh, thank God we had in, in 2011, there was a, a decision by the United States Supreme Court. And it was the Burrow of Duryea versus Guanyari case. And, and the Supreme Court said there, in any matter involving the right to petition, we have to look at the historical scope and purpose. Well, praise God, that's what we're all about. Uh, we've been, we've rested our all four of these cases, all of our work over the years. We've rested it. We know the what what that what the rights of the people and the obligations of the government are under that right, and we fought for it. We devoted our lifetime to restoring that right. It's become the forgotten right, but uh, it's so important uh, to our ability to hold the government accountable uh, to the to our constitutions, which which is the will of the people. So anyway, sorry to get carried away. No, Bob. Uh, everyone, uh, you're listening to Bob Schultz, who, uh, as I mentioned. Uh, provided the foundational genesis for the gathering that took place in our activism work with his foundation many, many years ago that led to Aaron Russo's movie, America, Freedom to Fascism, which is part of the reason uh, we all got together supporting not only Be the People Foundation, but the fruits of that research went into Aaron's movie that we all got behind. And... Uh, we weren't expecting Bob to be on the, the, the call tonight, the show tonight, but we are honored and welcome uh, to, to have him. And uh, Pablo from Mexico, we know you're on the, uh, the, the, the call, or Steve did identify you, uh, but Bob Schultz is like the paragon of guests for all of us, and we were not expecting him to be on, on, on the call. So prayers to uh, everyone out there. Bob. Uh, it's so gratifying to hear your voice and, and to reconnect and to hear you, you've got some spare time to work on this book, uh, which is, oh my God, that is a, it's of, of great necessity because uh, so much research and commentary, uh, activism is going on right now. Uh, it's really close to me, the people all, all across the world, thanks to these platforms, the internet, whatever you want to call it, uh, far greater than the tools that you and I and Bob, uh, excuse me, Mike Bodine, et cetera, et cetera, with all the conferences that we had many years ago, we just didn't have YouTube, we didn't have Facebook, we didn't have Twitter, we didn't have Instagram and all these other things. So 
uh, access to information, the, the readiness of it, uh, and, and, and your book uh, encapsulating those last ten words of the First Amendment, bringing them out of the darkness, out of the depths of, of, of misunderstanding. I mean, it, it, nowhere on, on mainstream uh, political commentary or research do you ever hear of those of that mention. <laughs> it's just amazing. And, and, and yet it's, 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 as you say, it's the capstone right. It's the crux. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Fred, it's interesting. Lately, um, a few people have gotten in touch with me, and they're saying, where does the government get off uh, with these, these governors and these decrees where do we get the authority? And you know, everyone has their their opinion on on. And, and so my response to them is, um, you you have questions. Uh, why don't you prepare, uh, uh, in your view, a statement of facts? Uh, you know, admitted. Treat it, do a petition for redress. Treat it as a deposition. You know, a document that you you ask the governor intelligently, rationally, professionally uh, to admit or deny this, admit or deny that. You you, you have questions. Um, and and have him or her respond to your questions. And of course, if the governor does not respond, then you have a right of enforcement. And, and a lot of things can be taken into consideration there. But, um, but you're, you're basically asking, where does the governor get the authority uh, to decide what's essential and what's not essential, and so forth, you know, all the stuff that's going on today. Uh, but, but it's perfect ground for proper petitions for redress for grievances. And, and, the and, and they are obligated to respond. It would seem to me that, uh, any, that a lot of people might get behind a proper petition for redress. There's a lot of emotion. Um, you, know, you, you out there today, and and some people they call me and say they're just they're just beside themselves with anger. And you read about these protests and so forth. But I think that the proper thing, you know. The proper thing to do is is to prepare a petition for redress of grievances, rather than speculate, rather than you know get emotional. Apply some reason and and uh, petition for redress of, of of your alleged grievance, and 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 see what happens. But again, individuals in small groups. They may not pay attention to you if you're an individual or a small group. You may not get an answer. 
But if there yeah. were a number of people signing on that are looking for um, answers to these questions in, in an intelligent way, uh, then uh, then it's difficult for them, you know, not to respond. So that's my advice to these folks. Uh, it's perfect ground for petitions for readers. There's a lot of emotion out there. Hey, Bob, I, I, I'm going to throw something throw something out there. You've you've heard of this uh, uh, thing called Q Q anon Q A N O N. Have you heard that? Q N O N. No, what is that? Q Q anon Q anon. I like Q anonymous anon. Yeah. Q anon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Back Q anon is uh, it's an amazing. It's, Fascinating phenomenon, uh, but it surfaced in uh, the fall of 2017 on a on a chat board called Eightcoon, which is uh, now uh, revolved into it. Anyway, it was an anonymous chat, chat like Reddit chat group, and uh, within less than a month, it appeared pretty obvious to people uh, of intelligence looking at these posts that were appearing under the under the header Q. The signature was Q at the end of the statement that was made was just the letter Q, okay? Okay, yep. And, and, and it was a, now, now there are four to five thousand uh, Q posts that have that have been posted since October of 2017. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a very high degree of synchronicity, you could call it coincidence, but also confirmational evidence that what is being posted is a very high military intelligence and actually predates and has predicted things that are actually happening in our government administration under Trump. Okay? Mm -hmm. And so it's become a world wide movement now. I mean, you're talking about, at any given time, there are a half a million people on the keyboard looking at this and following it and reposting it and analyzing it and commentating upon it uh, all over the world. So it's an amazing communication network that by design, I don't know who who is behind it, but it is, it is a is a phenomenon that you can't, I mean, you can close your eyes and ignore it, that it's not there, that it's not real, that it's a conspiracy, but it is, it is what it is. And uh, uh, so, so, so what is the theme? Uh, is there a theme? It's, it's the return to a constitutional republic, to freedom, to liberty, to the Jeffersonian democracy under a constitutional wow. republic. Yeah, all of that. Yeah. The wow. reformation of the Federal Reserve, all of the stuff that you and we and all of us are looking for and petitioning for, it's all in there. Wow. That's, now, uh, now, but but the, the, the missing thing, though, the missing thing is I don't, I'm not, I've never seen evidence of the focus on the last 10 words, the right to petition, in anything yeah. that, is, that has been shared on Q, okay? Yeah, but so, but it, it but you've got the you've got the uh, it, if success depends upon 
institutionalizing citizen vigilance, there's, there's a sign that citizen vigilance is being institutionalized, so to speak, okay? That it's, it's exactly. We, we right now have critical mass with this Q movement that's far beyond, I right. would say it's, 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 it's 5, 10% right now. It's not 3.5 or 2.5 or 1%. It's pushing 5 plus percent of the global population based wow. on just a rough feel about this. Yeah. Well, praise God. So, uh, yeah. So, so, uh, wouldn't it be desirable? If well, that, here's what if, I'm that, if the people be, if the people behind that yeah. organization or that, if they were to prepare a First Amendment petition for redress. He just needs yep. to, rec to rectify a violation. You know, I'm yep. not, I'm not so keen at the moment on. <clears throat> let, let's separate policy making from law breaking. I'm interested at the moment for. for I'm interested in more interested in petitions aimed at law breaking by government. Okay, unconstitutional behavior, um, and and rather than trying to uh, make law or or deal with policy making, there's a role for that too. Yeah, don't get me wrong, but I mean, at the moment, uh, we are faced with, as you know, uh, government violating the Constitution. We our when we we had 91,000 people sign on to four petitions that were served on every member of Congress, President, Attorney General, and so forth back in 2002, five months before we went into Iraq. One of them mm -hmm. was dealt with the Iraq resolution, you know, clearly a violation of the war powers provision of our Constitution was about to take place. And it did take place, and boy, do we regret it. I mean, it gave rise to ISIS and everything else. Sure, Saddam Hussein was a bad dude, right? I mean, he, but he kept the, the Sunnis and the Shiites apart, you know, and he ruled with his very autocratic way. Uh, you know, we don't like that, of course. But, uh, but look at the look what happened because we yep. went in and and violated the War Powers provision, and then the USA Patriot Act. You know, yep. uh, it was another one of the four petitions for redress. Yep. Maybe 1,000 yep. people. No answer. USA Patriot no Act. You know, there was a provision in there, you know, that that uh, they could come into my home, cap copy my hard drive, and leave without other But there was also, it gave rise to all of this surveillance, which which people are now talking about with making revisions <laughs> to the the USA Patriot Act because of the and Snowden, you know, his that whole episode, you know, was yeah. a result of, of and, and 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 there was the um, Federal Reserve was the third one. Where is the authority for this Federal Reserve system? Okay, yep. important questions to be answered. And of course, there was the direct unapportioned tax on labor, the so-called income tax. Um, but you know, these were. Uh, we had the assistance of constitutional scholars on every one of these 
these were um, uh, proper petitions, intelligent, you know, thinking answers to very direct questions, and they refused to answer. Um, what they should have done, of course, with hindsight, when they get a, you know, people don't know this, but when the petition, the First Amendment was added in 1791, everything was swimmingly, <laughs> everything went very well uh, until 1830, 30, 35, when the gag rule, you know, was passed by the House of Representatives. They, 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 until then, these petitions that the redress of grievances went to committees, every, unless they were totally libelous or frivolous, they always went to a committee in Congress. And every Monday, Congress dealt with petitions for redress of grievances from 1791 yeah. to 1830, right? And yeah. then they didn't want to answer these, these um, petitions from these abolitionists, right? Uh, seeking yep. to end the practice of slavery. Had they uh, honored the First Amendment, and, and uh, sent these to committee and had debates on the floor you know, of the House and the Senate, we could have probably avoided the Civil War. That's the Absolutely. way it's supposed to work, okay? And, and then you had the, the Iraq situation and, and all of this stuff. Uh, but individuals in small groups cannot prevail. So, this is, it, so it's so, so exciting what you're, what you're informing. I'm sorry, I just didn't know about this. Um, no, this is it, Bob. It's 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 not something. And I'll send you the links, Bob, and you can look at it. But what I'm thinking of doing is reaching out to some of these QAnon commentators that have huge audiences yeah. to say, "Oh, by the way, do you know Bob Schultz? Oh, by the way, do you know the old We the People Foundation for Constitutional Education? You know, it may be of great interest to add a little bit of the backdrop and feeling and understanding." Uh, and then, and then the folks inside the whatever you want to call it, the high palace of the, the queue. That there's, yeah. there's there's probably five or six very high level military intelligence people that are behind the queue post. And, so, uh, so, it's, so there's a lot of secrecy involved at the moment. Yes. Nobody knows who Q is or who's behind Q, but it's so close to what is happening to day-to-day -day governmental activity, yeah. and, and, and it's, it's uncanny and it's breathtaking at the same time. And I'm, I'm into numbers, you know, <laughs> so I follow Wouldn't it be great if they could, instead of having it come across to people say, well, you know, that's their opinion, you know, what does the government say about this, yeah. you know, and they don't, they don't know where to come down on it, yeah. most folks, right? So they just talk about it. But well, wouldn't it be great if they could take uh, these these uh, facts and yeah. and put them in a petition for redress and ask the government, knowing now the government knows there's a lot of people behind this. Okay, they signed on or whatever, um, and and they they ask the government to to say, okay, tell us where our facts are wrong, or 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 change of behavior. You know. <laughs> Um, and, and put them on the defenses, um, and but ha but force them to answer. And if they knew there was that power behind it, you know, it's all about power. God, 
Well, what, what, what the Q movement is basically uh, against is, is the rise in power of the deep state away from we the people. It, it, it's, it's the Socratic method. What Q does on the Q boards is ask questions. He never lays out exactly what to do or how to do it, but it, 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 it's the Socratic method. You, as you pose questions that are really penetrating... Right. That when you when you try to get the answer, you're you're going to learn yourself. You know, you're going to be interested. Hey, I want to find out what's the answer yeah. to that question. I'm going to go <laughs> here. I'm going to go here, there, there. And you know, a lot of these questions, if you go back to it and exercise our right, because answering the questions for a petition is, is exactly what we're doing, Bob. Get the government to answer the questions, right? Yeah, wow. exactly. Yeah. You know, Fred, they, when, they, when they sometimes post this Q+, that evidently is, is Trump's comment. You've heard that, right? That the Q+, Wait. plus is yeah, Trump's Q comment. Plus Trump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I'll let a cat yeah. out of the bag yeah. here a little bit. Uh, there was an affidavit that went to the president, a detailed, lengthy affidavit that had attached 48 exhibits extensive exhibits and um, that walked him through walked uh, yeah through a lot of what we had been through uh, the history and oh my gosh uh, and there was a response uh, and and a personal note thanking the party that sent it and then uh, follow up with a Christmas card from him so the president thanked, personally thanked, and then sent a Christmas card. You know, you could uh, read a lot into that or nothing. Yeah. But, but sure. the fact is um, that a lot of these important facts, uh, everything that we had, the foundation had been through, uh, was packaged up and was delivered. Anyway, very, I, I think you mentioned that in a very professional, formal way a very serious professional formal way that's great Bob. yes 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 yeah but this is good news uh, so the people are asking the right questions but they have to put the questions to the appropriate parties yep. and in and call it a first amendment petition for redress of grievances and and um and if our facts are wrong tell us fine yeah uh, but otherwise, change your behavior. And, and it's coming to you from, you know, I don't know how many, uh, did you say in this country how many people? I mean, that's, that are willing, but there, that, are willing to, that are willing, massive, willing to exercise their, listen, that are willing to exercise their right of enforcement. Now, let me just, yep. you know me, not, not, in, not, violence by any means. But certainly if there is a petition for redress regarding a, a serious one or more violations of the Constitution, the rule of law, and that uh, petition is served, properly served, and gets ignored, then, then the people who have this is the way it, it, this is what history tells us. Those people then have they're put in the position of, of saying, 
well, okay, then who are you? You're not the government I recognize. You're not the government we put in place. Why should yeah. I fund? Why should I fund you? Yeah. And you get yeah. and you get a lot of people seriously looking for answers to these questions, putting them on the defensive and not getting answers. You're, you're going to make a difference. That 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 is clearly what government. Our government accountability is all about. I mean, that, that's the way it's supposed to work. The framers never intended that we would have to rely on the electoral process or the judicial yeah. process. They knew that both of those systems were human and subject to corruption and so forth. And they gave, a, you know, in this Borough of Duryea case I mentioned earlier, um, yeah. Clarence Thomas, uh, wrote uh, a concurring opinion, and he mentioned in there that back then, these the history shows us that these petitions for redress went directly to the executive and legislative. In other words, it wasn't you know you weren't required petitioning did not demand you know the First Amendment doesn't demand that you have to go to the judiciary you know, for mm -hmm. redress of grievances. No, yeah. you could go directly to these officials in, in either yeah. political branch. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, uh, look forward to your link. And, uh, and Bob, and, uh, uh, just before, you, before we ch check off here, uh, uh, we can't forget to mention the great work that was done in the rights petition uh, activity over... Uh, the vote, voting uh, machine situation. The, the clean national clean elections lawsuit was an epic, epic effort for a lot yes. of us. And yes. it's come to four because of this. this you know, on the cue boards is, is a tremendous amount of commentary and research and questions about yes. the fraud behind mail order ballots or mail ballots. Yes. Yes. And, and, and it goes back to what we did with that case and the research and everything that went into it. And they're trying, the mainstream media, the deep state is trying to railroad this mail balloting to, 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 to steal the election in November against Trump, against all of us. And it's, it's really quite a, quite a very a sobering, uh, stark uh, nightmare that we face if, if they get away with this. Yeah, there's just no substitute for paper ballots, hand marked, hand counted. It's not a big deal. You know, we did that, uh, Michael Dean and I were on site in New Hampshire, uh, you know, in, in the, um, Barack Obama was running against Hillary and, and uh, Barack Obama stunned everybody by winning Iowa, I guess. And, and right, and so then New Hampshire was next and Mike and I were on scene. We were doing that uh, research on, on, on the, the uh, uh, New Hampshire was a perfect place because half of their precincts they were doing paper ballots hand marked hand counted and and um, the other half uh, they were voting on these machines these new machines and and uh, we were on we wrote this report we were on site we were getting you know all these ballots uh, came to a, a big central place where they were um, being counted and and 
I recall one of the conclusions of that work was that the incident of error uh, with the uh, machine uh, process votes uh, was far greater than the incident of error uh, with the hand paper ballots hand marked hand counted and the magnitude of the error was far greater uh, yeah. with the machines than than uh, with the paper ballot um, we was you know unquestionable results um, and I you know they they New Hampshire, at least, they here in New York State, we have 15,000 polling places. But so what? Um, you know, you you can do uh, you you can process so many of these, uh, you know, in an hour or two uh, after the polls close. So I'm all for paper ballots, hand marked. I don't know whatever happened in Germany. I know when we were doing that national clean election lawsuit. Case. Yeah. We learned that in um, Germany there was a PhD and his there were two a father and son. They were both PhDs, and they had challenged uh, Germany. They they have a constitution that's very similar to ours, of course, and um, and they didn't have states. Uh, I forget what they called them. They had about 16 of them around around the country, and and the the um, uh, they they brought this lawsuit and because these machines were were finding their way into these polling places and the upshot of it was they went they banned the machines as a result wow. of that lawsuit and I don't know what's happened since but they went they went to paper ballots hand marked in, in Germany uh, as we were doing you know our NCEL case I haven't kept up on where they are today but. Um, we had no knowledge that that was going on when we started our project, but yeah, I, I think that was a, a tragic result. Uh, I think we were on the right track. There's a lot of concern today, uh, and of course, it's subject to hacking and, and the rest of it. Um, but anyway, it is what it is. Yeah, Bob. Uh, the riots in Minneapolis, everyone, are are blowing up uh, with incredible. Uh, tragedy and, and violence and, and fire tonight. So please uh, say a prayer to, to for this to be resolved, for this to be ended. Uh, you, you, the National Guard has been called in. Bob, uh, guys on, on the call are following the, the live streams that are taking place uh, on the internet as we're talking here on our, on our show. So, but uh, Bob, thank you. Oh, by the way, is Judy's hanging in there, right, Bob? Your wife. Uh, yeah, she is. God love her. We, <laughs> yeah, she's here listening. <laughs> stop hey, Judy, we love you, Judy. <laughs> yeah, she's asleep. Yeah, uh, the official, just so people know, the official diagnosis is Alzheimer's. Uh, okay. And, and, and so um, it's all very interesting, but very sweet. She's she's uh, she's just a joy. Yeah, she's okay. fine. We're, we're in good shape. We're doing very well. Okay, yeah. well, great. And, and uh, gosh, well, Bob, uh, uh, we weren't expecting you to, to slip in tonight, but uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the platform is always open for you. Uh, thank well, you so much. Judy in the background, thank you, and God bless both of you. 
Uh, we'll definitely stay in touch. And I'll, I'll try to send you some links, Bob, on this QAnon thing along with some other uh, links for the people who commentate upon this. Because people that could exactly. slip in, we the people, and the right to petition into this commentary, I think it could really bubble up and gel and excite people even greater, even much, much more greatly than what's going on. So, Yeah, and, and I again, uh, I, I do think... Uh, well, if you like, we can get these briefs uh, uh, posted. But I do think I, 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 I feel very good that we're going to get this right restored. Um, it's been a long, long battle, but I think we're very close to getting to the Court of Appeals and uh, uh, to the Supreme Court and uh, that get this right restored. Um, it's only natural. I mean, it's when you replace the rule of law with the rule of whim, which is what's yep. been happening, we're just, you know, we're just uh, in, in deep detail. So, uh, and I think it's it's, it's recognized. Uh, I, I I think we're going to prevail. I, I feel very good about it. Anyway, we'll see. Okay, all right. great to be with you all. Well, God bless um, you. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Bob. Uh, all right. and, and guys, we're going to have Pablo from Mexican on, Mexico on next week. Please say a prayer for everyone's well-being. And Betty, Betty's husband, please uh, send the prayers out, out and, and surround everyone and Betty and their family and Bob and Judy with the good I vibes, forgot, good energies, and good prayers. I forgot Betty. What's Betty's husband's name? I forgot. Albert. Betty? Albert? Albert. Yeah. Albert. Thank you. Well, we'll say a prayer for Albert. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. Thanks. So, I hope to right, see guys. you all soon. All right. Yeah, I hope well. I can get out there, Bob. I hope this works. We can we can have that gathering. That, that, well, I don't want to give anything away, but God bless you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. We won't talk about that. <laughs> okay. All right. I, okay, yeah. I, that all happened. Nobody asked me about that. That's interesting. Okay. All uh, right. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Good night, okay. all. Thank God you. bless everyone. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Bob. Thank right, you. Good night, Judy. Good night, Bob. Thank you so much. Good night, Judy. Good night, Judy. Stay well. <laughs> hey, how's Bob? Oh, she's she could have been on tonight, but I, we weren't expecting you. She's doing fine, Bob, and Bill's yeah. doing good too. All right. Very good. Thank you. All right. Take care. God bless. Bye bye. Bye now. Bye. See you. Enjoy your horses. You're so lucky. <laughs> Bob, um, Pablo, are you still on? Uh, yeah, I'm right here. Oh, he is on, Fred. Oh, oh. We, we didn't know you were actually there. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's good to be back in contact. I don't know how I got uh, disconnected from the list. It's, it's like been four years, has it been? Wow. Well, can you come on and do the whole show next week with us? Yes, I can. Okay, that would be on, I'd be honored to do so. That'd be good to get an update from you. I remember last time we were talking to you, you had a heart attack. Are you fully recovered with that? Uh, I'm. I'm really. In, yes, the heart attack was uh, almost exactly five years ago. Wow. And, uh, it's been a while. That 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 runs in the family. So uh, I've. I've been doing like two and a half hours a day or more of exercise or aerobic exercise for the last 40 years yeah. with the with the idea that I try to 
push it as far back as possible. My mom died of her fourth, and my younger brother a bunch of years ago had one. So it was pretty much inevitable. But oh, well, the, uh, the, doc- the doctor said that, uh, and nobody survives how massive mine was. And uh, a year later when they were doing the uh, three-month checkup, instead of taking like 20 minutes, the guy took almost two hours, and I'm going, gee, it must be really bad. But then I thought, well, if it's really bad, I'd be in an emergency. I wouldn't be laying down here. So finally he says to me, uh, Bleeper, what have you been doing? I've never seen results like this. And so I had gotten back on my exercise and uh, now for almost five years later, I'm really in great shape. That's good. Yeah, uh, like I said, we didn't know you were going to be popping in tonight. So, uh, you know, like I said, Bob Schultz did too. So uh, tomorrow, I mean, next week would be a good time. We can, you know, give you the full course of the whole show. Uh, how's things with the uh, coronavirus there in Mexico? Uh, it's, uh, we, uh, the, you know, they had the, uh, well, you wouldn't know, I guess. They, they had the kind of a unofficial shutdown of everything. Yep. And yep. So, so we be, we, uh, we're walkers, uh, my baby and I, Patty. And so we, uh, we made the decision to uh, not stay home because, mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of giving into the fear, and how else would I know what was really going on? So we've been out walking, and they, uh, we have a reputation of a, lot, a number of areas of the city of being uh, good dancers. So yep. the the cops and a lot of people are used to seeing us out there. So somehow we managed to uh, keep walking, and the uh, amount of cars in the streets got to be closer to 1% than 10% of what it used to be. Oh, and wow. so now, uh, real see our uh, police and ambulances because there's so few cars out. And uh, there's these these uh, not bulletin boards, these posters up all over the place about uh, you know stay at home because it's uh, it's best for everyone. Yeah. And uh, uh, so there's there's all kinds of interesting things going on. The uh, the the posters really interest me because my sense of things is that with 9-11, we got a global police state. And with the coronavirus thing, we have the psychological angle of it really being enforced. It's a, a complete war on people's uh, ability to find out what's really going on and to think for themselves. Yeah. And so you, you, see, you see these signs, and uh, one of the signs says that, you know, I'm translating from Spanish, it says, uh, every time you use the excuse that you're going out for a little walk, you're postponing, you're making the uh, quarantine last longer. Oh, yeah. We have, these, we have these big signs up here in the northwest on the freeway, big signs that say, stay home, save lives. But people are really getting tired of it. I live between Washington, <laughs> Washington, I live between Washington and Oregon, and they're just both the governors – in Washington, Oregon, and in California, are real blue state people, and they're uh, they're just holding on. They're not opening, and we we don't have as many cases of, as a lot of the places that are, are opening. So it's becoming a really you know constitutional issue, as far as I'm concerned. It's crazy here in America right now. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's I guess I imagine is the same way all over the world. It's uh... yeah. Uh huh. I spent the first 50-some years of my life in the United States, so uh, uh, 
I'm no I'm no longer as used to it. So I anything you tell me about what's going on there is kind of new to me. Yeah, of course it's it's all you know. The upside of the whole thing is that people are <clears throat> really starting to look um, look a little deeper into uh, their constitutional rights. You know, where the Constitution meets the fascism of the blue states. It's uh, it's hard though, you know, because the kids. Uh, can't go out. The people aren't working. I live in an area where there's a lot of uh, immigrants, and they aren't getting any stimulus money because they're not legal, but they're working here and paying taxes, but they can't get any help. And you can just feel the thick energy in the air. You know, they're just like, what is going on? A lot of them don't even speak English. <clears throat> yeah, we, uh, we uh, on one of our walks, we were at this little park in... Uh, the, the police had kind of made an exception to it and they had let people congregate there. And it was, uh, I guess, legal in, in terms of the, uh, uh, this was a, like a, a smoke-free, not smoke-free, what, what would you call it? You're allowed to smoke weed there. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. and, 423. And so, <laughs> and, and we, we dance everywhere with any party and every party and any group just, uh, you know, to kind of uh, fire people up, you know, build up enthusiasm, stuff like that. And uh, so we uh, were dancing there, and uh, 10 patrol cars show up and pile out, and they come running into the park, and one of them grabbed one of the people in the park by the neck and was strangling him in front of all of us. So we get getting closer and closer, and I finally I started shouting out, hey, you got to let them breathe. And that made all the young people that were there get a lot closer, so they were almost within touching distance. And I was thinking, gee, here we have the police state a meter away from us. <laughs> and yeah. the, guy wasn't, the guy wasn't doing anything except being there. It wasn't like a crime was being committed or anything. And uh, well, that's up close and personal. And then uh, the, right after we uh, danced there, the... A couple of days later, they, they closed that park down, so there's a, basically no parks here that are open at all. Yeah, we had a, one of the lakes near where I live opened up last week, and then they had some new cases, and they closed it back down again. <laughs> it was really uh, frustrating. We had this picnic planned at the lake today with my brothers, and I made all this food and everything, and then <laughs> he texts me this morning and says, can't do it, sister. They close the lake again. And this is a big area where lots of people can spread out. You know, even on a busy day, people aren't that close together. It's a huge area. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I have uh, have early on in this whole thing, and uh, I think I figured out what was really going on. It reminds me so much of uh, 9-11 because well, almost nobody knows this, but the 11 months before 9-11, Industrial production in the United States declined 11 months in a row. That's the very definition of a Great Depression because that's the key economic indicator in an advanced capitalist country is industrial production. And so the the old and they came up with a new one of this you know small group terrorism. And uh, I think maybe that's people are already kind of tired of that, so they came up with this uh, disease meme. And uh, I've, been, I've been paying a lot of attention to it, and it sure looks like the number of deaths from influenza in general, from the flu, including coronaviruses, is less than last year. And, but they're, the, who stopped putting out all their statistics on the other kinds of flu? 
because they were going to zero. They basically what the countries around the world are doing is classifying any death from flu as coronavirus, even if it wasn't. Oh, yeah, they're getting paid to do that in the hospitals here, getting paid to say, but we figured out now about six cases per 194 reported are actually real, COVID only. Everything else has uh, has um, other conditions that cause the death, and 60% of the cases in America have been in um, elder care facilities. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's, it's over mm-hmm. half for the really old people. Mm-hmm. Over so 80, actually. for that, so uh, watch out. Maybe in the next five minutes, I'll expire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a clown, you have to excuse that. Oh, that's all right. You're talking to a bunch of clowns, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was good to hear Betty's voice again. Yeah, yeah, her husband's dying, but... That's how we found Pablo, Didi. We found Pablo through Betty, remember? Oh, I mean, I'd forgotten about that, yeah. Yeah, that's how we found yeah, Pablo. She, she was one of her, my first uh, uh, cheerleaders or something, you know, somebody in public saying, hey, Pablo, you're doing great. Keep it up. Yeah, yeah she, she, she kind of made the, the connection happen. And then, uh, yeah, because uh, I, I can't believe it's been that many years to slip by. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it, 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 hear, hearing your voices, it feels like no time passed at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember we talked, and we we had a really good, uh, you know, it's just a really easy go conversation. So you know, you were interacting with a lot of the great callers because you were you were sharing about how yeah. the, the local language and how you kind of taught a lot of the the your the people around there English, and you were sharing some of the lingo and stuff like that. I remember you were talking, we were talking about that, and uh, so yeah, I, I remember it just like it was just yesterday. It was very very clear. So. Like I said, uh, yeah, I, I remember all that. I just can't believe it's been that many years slipped by. And then when when I got your email, and he said, Steve, where's where's my newsletter? <laughs> I thought, holy shit, yeah, I hadn't seen your name in forever. And so I was like, damn, well, we'll take care of that right now. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, we, we uh, kind of just hit it along, you guys and me, really well right from the very beginning. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think, I Maybe the first time was I on with Steve Dayak, Stephen Dayak of the of the nine eleven crash test the first time. Yeah, I think oh, you that's were. possible. Yeah. And, and then I was in the process of uh, writing a uh, all in one page uh, leaflet exposing all the different component lies of the nine eleven big lie. Yeah, we had, it, we had that in our newsletter. I think I remember you sent me a copy of that. I think we put that in our newsletter. But I, well, I don't think a- we actually. I don't think we actually ever covered it on one of your programs. No, there's a, a link that Fred sent out yesterday. Steve, did you see that? It's got Stephen Diak in it, but that's one of the most extensive, complete uh, document on 9-11 I've ever seen. Yeah, no, it is. Okay. got to send that to, to you, Pablo. Yeah. Do you have his email, Steve? Or? I do. I'll, uh, I'll, send you, I'll send you a copy of that, too, so you'll have it, Dee, in case something happens. But... Uh, yeah, I'll. Uh, I have it. No. Oh, yeah. Oh, you mean email? Yeah. But if you can send him that document, I'm sure he'd he'd love to see that. <laughs> Who, whose document is this, Steve? It's a document that Fred sent out, but it has it has listings and material from all the top 9/11 researchers. Everybody's on there. It's impressive. It's pages and pages and pages and pages long. I, I had it, somebody uh, write me uh, maybe on Facebook and, and said to me, 
that I was on a list of uh, major uh, U.S. government uh, disinformation agents. Oh, we're probably all on that. We're all on that list. Don't worry about it. But there was there was like a, a Richard Gage and uh, yeah, he's uh, on he's on this document too. Yeah. And and for my name to be included, I said, well, I must be doing something right. Yep. Of course. That's right. So I I uh, I ended up doing this uh, really comprehensive overview of nine eleven, and I did it. Uh, I try to make it so that it's uh, like memorizable and, and useful for all kinds of people that are just not really familiar with what went on. So the whole thing is organized by groups of three, and it, it goes. Uh, the main groups are people, places, and planes, like people, places, and things. And then it ex examines the three main aspects of each one. And on one side of the page, it lays out exactly what the U.S. government claims, and the other two thirds on the right exposes that as a big lie. So the thing is super comprehensive, and all you have to do is prove one of those things wrong, and the official conspiracy theory fails. And I do that with all 27 to 33, depending on how you count them, all 27 to 33 major claims. We we show that they're all BS. Huh. Yeah. And the thing about that leaflet was that I uh, I was uh, allowed the opportunity to present it to this on uh, 9/11 truth leaders and deep straight crimes uh, teleconference that I've been a member of for some years. And uh, there was 40 truth leaders on the, on the conference call. And when the vote came up, it was unanimous. And I've never seen that group once agree unanimously on anything 9-11 related. And so that's, that's a testament to how correct the leaflet is and how, what it covers and how it covers it. Because all the, all the different wings of the 9-11 truth movement could agree to it. Yeah, and the, the the key to that is it it avoids any attempt to solve 9/11. Instead, what it does is it just addresses the fact that it's a big lie because that's that's our only that's our only task. Uh, trying to solve the thing inevitably leads to splits because you know you, you, we have ten different and nuclear-based uh, hypotheses of how the towers were brought down. Then there's DEWs and there's reptilians. <laughs> You know, and, and so everybody split over their version of what really happened, and who's really in a position to, to prove it? Uh, we, we don't have to prove what happened. We only have to prove what didn't happen, and that's the, the official government version. And when the, enough people around the world realize that, they'll get angry enough to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully you can come on and share some more of that. Um, I'm going to have to get off, Steve, so I'm going to say good night. But of course, go keep talking. But um, good night, everyone. Uh, I got to do the same. I got to end the speed, Pablo. So, listen, good to hear from you. Just call in if you can next week. Um, you know, a few minutes before uh, nine o'clock Eastern, and you'll have the the whole show because uh, you'll be our guest speaker. So, we'll do it like that, and that'll work out really good. So. Sounds good, and I'll keep you on the email list, and I'll, I'll have you listed as a guest speaker. So you'll get the newsletter. Well, and you well, I, well I, I appreciate that, and it really is a joy to be talking with you guys again. Likewise. Yeah, well, thanks for coming in. <laughs> we'll okay, see, see you next week. Right, Take thanks. care. Bye-bye. All right, good night. Be happy out there, everyone. <laughs> good night, Steve. Good night, Steve and Steve and... Sam, everyone else is here. <laughs> Bye. A U N American Underground Network.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.